0: Welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest, all things divorce and relationship related. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and I am a divorce attorney. Today, I am honored to have a friend and rock star financial planner, Denny Mendez. Denny, thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Uh, Denny, why don't you tell us uh, where you are, where people can reach you?
1: You can reach me on Instagram. That's probably the best way. You can go to Den Mendez, D-E-N-M-E-N-D-E-Z. That's probably the best way to get in contact with me because nobody cares about cell phones anymore unless you're texting.
0: I get it. So um, as uh, I often come in contact with Denny and uh, work with Denny, both on the sports side and on the uh, divorce side, And, Danny, I thought it would be great to have you come in today uh, just to talk to our audience uh, for an understanding um, to use financial planners to help in the dissolution process. Um, And so, I thought it would be great to talk about the do's and don'ts uh, financially related uh, in a divorce. Of course. Um, So, why don't we talk about um, first thing? Uh, the do know your standard of living uh, when things are going to change. Uh, for example, uh, having uh, two homes when you've had one for let's the span of the marriage. Uh, yeah. So can you just, let's talk about that and how it's important to understand that the lifestyle, whether they like it or not, is going to change.
1: Without question. That's the, that's probably the hardest part right there. Forget about the emotional turmoil after the whole divorce is said and done. Now they have to get adjusted to like a brand new financial household. And that's the hardest part to go from a vacation home and a regular home down to just one home or to go from someone paying all the bills. to now you're responsible for the bills yourself. That's right. So that is a really difficult adjustment. And once you start breaking down the actual budget and say, okay, listen, this is. It goes from a two house, you know, two income family to a one income Mm -hmm. family. Let's figure out how this adjusts. And you actually break down the numbers, some people get really surprised. Like, holy cow, this is how much it costs to live my lifestyle. And
0: especially when, you know, oftentimes you have a scenario where let's say one person's paying all the bills, the other person is just there's a division of responsibility, and that's just that's not what they're responsible for. And they have no idea because their their wife or their husband has been uh, responsible for taking care of the finances. And so that kind of leads me to another point. You know, uh, we deal with financial planners all the time as matrimonial lawyers. And a lot of times people think, oh, we need to bring in the financial planner right before we're about to ink the deal. (laughs) And let's uh, figure out, uh, what we can do with, let's say, we're getting a million bucks, ten million dollars, five hundred that, whatever the number is. Now let's introduce you to the financial planner. And I think that's really a, a don't right there. I think the if anything that the listener gets today, it's start in the beginning. Right. The sooner, the better. I'll give you an example.
1: So we deal with a lot of athletes, as you're aware. And it's like basically taking an athlete that you're not going to put in his financial plan in place until right before he signs his big deal. If you're doing that, you're already late in the game. Sure. So you're like, oh, this person's going to make whatever, 10 million bucks a year. Now let's put a plan in place. You're already late in the game because in that person's head, he's already spent the money. I'm getting 10 million. Awesome. I'm going to buy my mom this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. They're not even thinking about taxes. So when you come in and you're like, "Ah, out of that 10, you only got four maybe two to play with they're looking at you like you got 10 heads so you're already late in the game it's the same thing with a divorce because if i've been on both sides of the coin where one person pays all the bills and now they're like oh i gotta pay alimony and you know, my child support and now we're like okay now let's figure out what your budget is because before you were have you were paying these expenses but your kids were in the house and your fat you know your parents were, excuse me your spouse was in the house now you're no longer doing that. You're paying these expenses, but now you also have to pay your own separate expenses. Right now, you may have a new person in your life, or that person may have their own children, and now your expenses dramatically increase, as much as you may not want it to. So you have to put in those budgets in, in from the beginning. And if you're on the other end, you're like, I've never paid a bill in my life. My spouse paid everything, and now I'm just getting this big chunk of money. Sometimes they hear the numbers and they think it's major, like oh, five million, ten million, which Yes, it's a lot of money, but it depends on your lifestyle. Five million can go away in two years, depending on how you spend it. And we've seen it. We've seen it where people are like, oh, I'm getting $10 million. I'm going to be comfortable. Right. Three years later, they're like, I got to look for a loan because I ran out of money because they did not adjust their lifestyle.
0: It's also, for many people, maybe their income is not supporting the lifestyle. So that nest egg that they get, that equitable distribution award, They need to throw off income from that. So, uh, for example, don't uh, sock it into a house. Uh, You take liquid assets and you throw it into illiquid uh, assets that are not going to throw off uh, income. Yes, you may appreciate, you know, that real estate may appreciate. um, But if you are tying it up in assets, uh, that may impact uh, what you're able to live on going forward.
1: And that's it's funny you mentioned real estate because that's actually usually what happens. Like, oh, I got this big chunk of money. I am going to buy myself a property because I don't want the debt. Like, I don't want the debt. i rather just use this chunk, pay off the house, and then whatever's left over, i use that to, to sustain my lifestyle. But they don't realize that right now money's cheap because their interest rates are low. Instead of you taking your cash and putting it towards a piece of property, I'd rather you just keep that cash, try to generate as much income as possible, and borrow the money from the bank. Just pay the bank off because you still have your big chunk of cash. You may not even want to be in the house in five years.
0: Sure. So now when we put together the budget, and that typically happens early on, you know, our office, sometimes we'll bring in accountants, explain how you can work and what you're doing. Like, you know, for example, the modeling, what kind of services you can offer to the person, even if in the beginning, it may be unclear as to what, you know, the equitable distribution is going to be later on down the road.
1: You always got to give yourself barriers because you never know where the person is going to land. So we ask a lot of questions, overview questions in the beginning. You know, talk to us about your lifestyle. Talk to us about your cars. Talk to us about where you want to live. Where do you want your kids to go to school? Just things of that nature. And that way we can get an idea of where their mind is. Because you might have someone that's like, oh, I'm going to get a million dollars and this has to last me you know, 20 years. But I want my kids to have the best schools. I'm by myself an Audi and I'm going to get myself a 10, you know, a 10 room house. So, you know, that it's not going to fit into the equation. So we try to ask a lot of questions to see where their head is first. And then we create a budget behind the scenes without them, without them even knowing it. So we're like, oh, this is what you want. Awesome. This is what you're looking for. Great. And as they're giving us the answers, we're like jotting it down on a notepad. And that's how we create a budget. And then we see if their budget is sustainable or if it's not. And if it isn't, we always tell them, there's only two things you can do. Yes, your lifestyle is more than what you have. You have only two options. You got to lower your lifestyle or find a way to make money. And that's, that's super simple. Numbers do not lie. You either got to find a way to make more money or you got to lower your lifestyle. And sometimes in the beginning, they try to earn the money. But at the end of the day, they usually lower the lifestyle.
0: Just to be comfortable. Sure. I think another um, talk about do's and don'ts you have a lot of clients who come in, especially emotions are high. Uh, right. uh, I would say a don't, don't decide one financial issue at a time. You have to take the, the way I approach uh, all cases um, is you have custody related issues and then you have the financial related issues yep. and it's not, we're going to settle the economics piecemeal because you know what you get in child support, what you get in spouse's support. That's all intertwined with the asset package that you're going to get as yep. well. That's right. And it's, it's similar to what we were talking about before because it's all going to impact the budget.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the one thing we don't like to do is do things piecemeal. We can do things by phases. Phases is okay. But to do things piecemeal, that means you have a real strong chance of missing something. Mm-hmm. Or something not being put into the budget that's extremely critical and next thing you know when you're like oh yeah this is what you're gonna live on oh we forgot this one piece here this is piece of paper that i owe somebody something and i forgot about it so we try to bring in everything as much information as possible
0: and do you um do you like when you make your planning do you set certain like goals whether it's long-term financial stability always. versus you know the immediate future and how do you approach that
1: always so we do we kind of try to model it out for like 20 to 30 years so everyone's lifestyle is different if you're in your 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s obviously your lifestyle is going to be in different phases of your life but what happens is we always try to we try to plan out for at least 20 years Hey, talk to us about the first 12 months, especially in divorce. First 12 months, they're out of their minds because they don't know what's going on. It's a huge adjustment. So we try to just move things slowly. Hey, let's just get a place. Don't make any sudden moves. Don't go out and get liposuction. Let's do nothing. Let's just keep it on the, you know, real quiet for the next 12 months, just so you can mentally bring yourself
0: down to earth. Do you deal with that liposuction question often?
1: Very often, <laughs> I'm dealing with one right now, so, um, so we always like don't make any big sudden moves. Let's just you know take it easy. That's hard for them because they feel like they have to do something. Sure, oh, I I just got a divorce. I have to do something to break out of the shell that I'm in. So keeping them steady is hard. Um, but what we do is we always say, hey, this is what we're gonna do. This is let's plan out for the first twelve months. Mm. Keep it easy. Then the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years. And no plan that you put in place stays there because anything can happen in three days. Your whole lifestyle can change. So we're like, oh, let's just come up with something for the next couple of years. And if something changes, you have a new baby, you get remarried, whatever happens, we're going to adjust this plan just so we can stay within our
0: parameters. Sure. And you know, not to uh, go back to the liposuction, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a big guy, so uh, liposuction is on my mind. Uh, no, but seriously, <laughs> <all the> trash. <laughs> isn't, it, you know, isn't it true, though, these modeling, the modeling and the budgeting, forecasting for the future, you can also you can bake in some costs, and not, not necessarily liposuction, but if you want to take, like, a, you know, a, a, a big trip, Uh, For let's say we're going to celebrate on our 50th, we're going to do a big trip and you, or I'm going to buy, make a, uh, a big milestone purchase. You can still sit down with the person and factor that in. It's just like buying a house.
1: If you're going to go on a big vacation and it's going to cost, you know, whatever, $30,000. This is just like you're saving for a down payment of a house. We're going to plan out when do you want to do this trip? All right, let's figure out a way to save for it. And something I also do, especially with some of the clientele we deal with is like, they're very spur of the moment people like, oh, I'm bored. Let me jump on a plane and, you know, whatever, go to Vegas. So what we do is we always take a portion of the money every month. And we're like, this is your casino money. Take this, go crazy. Do whatever you want. You want to buy a watch? You want to buy whatever shoes? Do whatever you want. The moment this is over, you're going to have to wait till next month to have more play money. Oh, it's up to you. We, I treat them like my 11-year-old daughter. Like You want to spend it all this weekend? Cool. Go for it. Just know you're going to have three weekends without doing anything. Um, and that's an adjustment for them as well because they're like, this is my money. I could do whatever I want. I was like, yeah, you can. But if you are not going to pay attention to us, you're going to go broke. And you're not going to work with us because we're going to end up firing you because you're not listening to us. We want sure. you to succeed. We don't want you just to have fun. Having fun is easy.
0: Have you done that? Have you fired clients? Yeah.
1: I did one uh, less than three months ago. He was a guy, you know, athlete, making good money, but he was making very poor decisions. And he wouldn't listen to advice. And I kept telling him, like, dude, I'm going to stop working with you. I'm going to stop working with you. You can do whatever you want. And that's what I had to do. Called up his people, and I was like, this is not going to work out, and I had to find him. And what's your, <clears throat> uh, what's your ideal client? And I do client is somebody that wants to grow. Someone that's forget about how much money they have. Because money's relative, like a million dollars to you and I might be ten thousand to somebody else. And you know, what's twenty million to us might be pocket change to somebody else. So money's relative. I always say that. It's just somebody that wants to grow. Like, oh, you want to turn your million into two million? Let's figure out a way how to do that. Someone with entrepreneur spirit, family spirit, someone that wants to just
0: do just do good. Sure. Um so I often, you know, I get a call, well, I was just out for lunch uh, and my buddy is going through a divorce and he's getting, uh, you know, here's the deal that they're getting and how come I'm not getting this deal or <laughs> my friend, she's getting $25,000 a month and how come I'm only getting 20000 a month? You know, I think that it's good to talk to your friends and it's good to have friends who really? can relate. But I think... Uh, getting your financial advice from your friends and family is uh, really horrible uh, advice, and that's where I think you come in. What are your thoughts about that?
1: It's funny. I call them the stock, the mechanic stockbroker. So like, all right, you're a mechanic, but you're giving everybody stock advice. I was like, all right, if you're an amazing stock picker, you wouldn't be, you know, knee deep in grease. So yeah so we call like, that the
0: jailhouse lawyer in my profession
1: <laughs> there you go That's always those <laughs> those funny names um, so I always tell them that like, be, you always have to be careful where the advice comes from and everybody I'm going to tell you at least in my experience especially in my world the people that I deal with sometimes I'm like okay this is how your portfolio has done you're up you know whatever the percentage and they'll be like well my friend is up you know double that or my friend's up triple that or my friend's whatever and I was like okay I was like You know, that we could always see where the risk is coming in. I was like, all right, this person is taking much more risk than you are, which means when you're up, you know, this much, this person can be down triple that amount. So I was like, are you comfortable with that? Like, it's all about your comfort zone. And it's not just about like trying to make as much money as possible. Again, it's like being within your parameters. If you got this money and it needs to spit out this much income every month, you don't want to take risk, or you maybe you could do, but it depends on what your goals are. So, I always break down the percentages. Remember, this is going to go to safety. This is going to go to whatever, just your cash, your checking, your savings. This is going to go to conservative investments, things that we know are going to do okay, the Apples of the world, the Googles of the world. And I was like, we'll take a little chunk and we'll be speculative. We'll go crazy. We're going to see where this can go and we're going to shoot for the stars. But you have to be cognizant of the fact that you can lose it all. So as long as they understand that, which a lot of them don't, as long as they understand that, you know, we're, we're okay.
0: Um, I also think it's important to kind of touch upon, uh, albeit briefly, that um, parties need to be cognizant, certainly in a divorce, when they're dividing the assets. Yep. Equal is not necessarily Equal. fair, <laughs> and you have to focus on the details. Yep. Uh, you know, and I talk about this all the time well, I'm going to take the house and they're going to get all the liquid assets or he's giving me the money in a retirement plan. Well, you have to, everything is tax impacted. Yep. And I'm assuming that, you know, that, well, I know cause we've worked together, but that certainly comes into play on structuring a settlement. Absolutely. And it's it's important to have the right advisors that can explain that to Someone out there who may not be as familiar with the concepts.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Ta- I always say people always forget about taxes. And I was like, taxes is gonna get you. I was like, just like I like to use athletes because they're athletes are on TV and they're you know people always talk about how much money they make, but one thing they always get in trouble with is taxes, and it's the same thing with the divorce. Like, oh yeah, your assets are gonna come from here guess what? You may have to pay taxes. If it's coming from a retirement Mm -hmm. plan, there may be tax implications. And I was like, if there's a million dollars, don't forget a portion is going to go to the government. The other portion comes to you. This is not all your cash. And sometimes they forget that. So I always say you got to be aware of how your taxes work Mm -hmm. because if you don't, you don't really know how your money's working.
0: So I think it's really important for people out there to know like, Oh, I'm, I'm listening to Denny. This is somebody I want to meet and get to know what, how, explain how you work. How do you get paid um, uh, first? And then also, you know, will you speak to anybody? You know, I think it's important to understand maybe, you know, uh, people need to understand, you know, if you're investing in them, you know, uh, are there certain minimums that they need to have under your management in order for you to speak to them? So if you could just talk about that.
1: Absolutely. So let me give you a little bit of background of how I got into this industry. Sure. I don't even think you and I have had this conversation. So when I was a late teen, I was this before nine 11. So when I was a late 18, I was working in a wall street firm, but like in an administrative role, you know, I was like in college, I just needed to pay a, I just needed some money in my pocket. So I just, you know, worked at a firm down in wall street and my mom knew I worked for an investment firm. And one day she comes to me and she's like, Hey, you work for, you know, investments. So I was like, can you read this? They presented this to me in the bank and I don't know what it is, but it sounds like a good idea. And I'm reading it. and I'm like, I have no idea what the hell this says. So I took that paper and I went back to my job. Like I went to like my bosses at the time and I was like, Hey, what can you guys explain this to me? Like my mom was presented this in the bank and I don't even understand it. So, as they explained to me how it worked, I knew, like, this was not something for my mom. I was like, my mom is, like, a blue-collar lady. She's not, We don't have a lot of assets. We, you know, we grew up pretty humble. And I was like, this is not something that this person should be getting into. And come to find out, like, her friends did it. Like, anybody that banked there did it. And We grew up in an immigrant neighborhood. Like, people didn't speak English there. So, I was like, this is interesting. I was like, how? I was like, I know it's not good for her. Why is it good for this other person? So, I started getting really interested in how these investments worked, Um, and luckily, a guy I worked with he took me under his wing, and I started learning more about the stock market and learning more about investments and more so financial planning—not just investments, like the financial planning aspect of it. And as I started realizing that our community didn't have like, I mean, it has zero education when it came to finances. It was just like most of them were blue collar, so what they did was they worked, they put money in the bank a lot of money into the mattress because they didn't trust banks because of where they came from. And they just paid their taxes. Like that was it. And if somebody in the bank, like somebody in the tie, told them like, hey, I'm gonna sell you this water, but this water's gonna turn into gold in five years, they're gonna be like, fantastic, let me do it right now. But they just didn't know. So I got into the industry to more so just push the educational aspect of it. And then I, fortunately enough, I got into like I started working with entertainers and a lot of entertainers in this country come from Poor backgrounds as well, especially athletes. You know, you know, some of the people that we deal with, they come from like dirt, dirt poor. So I was like, all right, we got to push these people because they have opportunities to really grow their wealth and focus on generational wealth. Generational wealth is like a term that's thrown around so often, but they don't understand how it works. I was like, you can break the cycle of, you know, your family, like you can't, your family came from poverty. You came from poverty, but now you're having an opportunity to make some real money. Let's make that money, make money. And then you teach your kids how to make more money. And that's that's how I kind of got into the industry. Um, But to answer your original question as to how I get paid is I charge people to manage their assets. So somebody comes to me and is like, hey, I got X dollar amount. I need you to invest it depending on what the goal is. I was like, no problem. You're going to give it to me. I'm going to charge you a percentage of it depending on what the goal is. And that's how I get paid. Um, So I have a vested interest person to make money because guess what if you give me a million dollars and i'm charging you one percent on that million dollars but the million goes down to nine hundred thousand now i'm losing money because i'm charging you now a percentage on the nine hundred thousand so i always want you to do well i have an incentive to do well and as far as who i speak to i'll speak to anybody like yes i may have minimums in my firm because of just you know there's only so many hours in the day that i can cut up but i was like i would never forget where i came from i remember when our family had nothing. I remember when my family had nothing and you know they needed to know where to go to for advice and nobody spoke to them because they didn't have anything. So I was like, I'll talk to
0: anybody just to point them in the right direction. That's powerful stuff. Um, so like on the modeling, you know, do you charge a fee for that? Um, will you bake it into ultimately if they retain you um, and they want to invest with you? um you know like explain how that would work i
1: always bake it in right so like say you came to me and you were like hey i got you know whatever it is i was like all right this is my proposal to you this is how i model it out for that i would i never charge for that but if you decide to work with me you're like okay i want to work with you let's work together and you give me money to invest at that point i will charge you um there's also other things like you know sometimes we do a lot of defined benefit plans we do a lot of a lot of pension plans for entrepreneurs because like i said before taxes eats them up so they don't realize like hey you guys got pensions that you can put money in and get it all tax deductible and it'll be going to a constant in your name sure so you know for that i don't really charge a fee because the companies we work with they usually pay us directly um but i try to keep the cost as low as possible i rather you make money and then already when your kids become gazillionaires i want them to work with me and your grandchildren as well so i'm always thinking of generational wealth also for our business. Sure. I work with everybody.
0: And I know you, you know, you have got a great team. If you can just expound a little bit on the team that uh, is behind you and uh, your partners. So, uh, you know, a a big thing when a client comes in or potential client, um, they're not just getting me, they're going to get individualized attention, but there's a bench, you know, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of guys. So similar to how you operate, I think it's important for people to know. You know, we're in service business, yep. and so if you can just shed some light on your team uh, and the other ex- expertise that you have, just by by way of uh, your partners.
1: Absolutely. So. I always say our network is pretty powerful, but our, in our firm, I mean, it's four partners that run the entire sports and entertainment division, but we have 30 people under us. That includes admins, more financial planners. We have the CFPs, the CHFCs, all those, all those acronyms that people like to have behind their names, so we have all of them, as well as CPAs. So as I'm not a one-man show, I always tell my clients, especially you know some of the people we deal with, we're like, if I get hit by a bus and I'm not here tomorrow, somebody's going to call you. You're not gonna be alone. you're not gonna be left in the wind. Like somebody's gonna call you, and they're gonna know exactly what to do. And that actually happened to our firm, you know, recently. Like we had somebody that came in. Uh, he was an advisor. He was with us for a long time, over twenty years. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, and when he passed away, like right away, like we called his clients. Like primarily, his clients were Spanish speaking. So I speak Spanish. So they were like, "We gotta let them know what happens, and we gotta let them know these are the options." And that somebody's there to take care of them. So right away, I called them up. I was like, this is what happens. You know, fortunately, this is the news. But Just know that you're not alone. You're not just left in the wind. Like, we're going to continue this relationship as long as you want it.
0: Sure. You're working with the firm. Um, and so I have, as, as a mat lawyer and uh, a sports lawyer, I've got a lot of funny uh, (laughs) and zany stories and i know you represent you know a ton of entertainers and athletes you have to have a couple of good stories that you can share with the audience well i'll tell you a funny
1: one that just happened just last year so i went i was in another state i won't tell you the state because you'll probably figure out who these people are um and i was i was with some baseball players with a it was a brand new guy that i just met he was like a friend of a friend they were like oh you know you gotta meet this guy he's amazing so you know so we met and the very first time we met we went to we went for dinner and this guy's like you know he's a big shot he's making over 10 million dollars a year he got the jewelry on he got he got all this stuff on right so he comes in and he comes in with his entourage of like 15 people and I'm like, dude, I was like, how many hamburgers can you like possibly eat? There's so many people here. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, this is just the pregame. We're gonna go to this like, you know, club afterwards. And I was like, clubs? I was like, I'm past that age already, but I'm gonna do it because that's what you guys want. You know, you guys are young. So we go to the club and it's like she could visualize. So it's basically tables next to each other. It's before COVID, obviously. So it's tables next to each other and the baseball players are like competing as to who can get more bottles. They were getting more bottles than people in the freaking in the VIP, and I'm telling. And I just met this player, and I'm like, dude, why are you buying more bottles? I was like, we can't drink it. I was like, you're we're gonna pour it on your head like you're a stripper. And then after a while, he was like, you know what? You're right. There's already two bottles per person here. How am I gonna? Why am I gonna buy more? That's crazy. And these guys easily, easily were dropping like ten thousand dollars, like on a one night out. They're teammates. It's like me and you were hanging yeah, out yeah. and we we're just trying to compete. I was like, that's the
0: dumbest. Th- it's crazy. Th- it's and, th- th- you know, th- it's <laughs> our mutual friend, Hector, another uh, yeah. sports agent. Great guy. I, and I was talking to him the other day and he was telling me this story. And, um, you know, they get wrapped up in, you know, uh, these guys are down in their country. Let's use the DR for an example. And the guy's like, well, I just shut down the club. Why? And he spent two hundred thousand dollars just so he can walk out of the club at the end of the night to say, "I shut it down." So there's twenty people in the club just so he could say, "Oh, yo, I'm a big shot." And then, and then, when he wakes up the next day, it's like, "Why'd you let me blow two hundred grand?"
1: It's your fault. Right. It's your fault. So I'll tell you another story. This is actually, you know, I was uh, in the back in the Dominican Republic, and there was like a bunch of baseball players in this town that my family's from. My family's from a really poor town, like in the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic. So if you think about poor here. Think about pouring a third sure. world country. And these, just so you can get an idea of how the town works, like, the streets don't even have traffic lights. What they do is that they, like, dig ditches in the corner. So, like, if you're flying by, right. you, you're forced to slow down. So, you don't, like, run into people because if not, your car is going to get destroyed. So, every- See, I didn't know. I had no idea
0: that that was intentional.
1: Oh, it was intentional. Yeah, <laughs> so you've been there so it's intentional so the reason they do that is because if guys are co- driving drunk or whatever the case is like you're forced to slow down on the corner it's crazy now you're going to destroy your car because you're going to just hit a ditch and your whole bumper goes flying so they do that on purpose because nobody cares about traffic lights over there and so we're in this town a town with maybe 10 traffic lights in the whole town and baseball players came and they brought their lamborghinis to this town you know lamborghinis are already yeah. like an inch off the floor and i was like guys once you go down one street you're not going to get out because there's no way you can get out of this ditch they're destroying the sides of these lamborghinis just to show off in a town that people are not even making three thousand dollars a year i was like where's your thinking but it goes to show like that's just how they were raised because they see the other players from the older generation that's what they did so they're like if that's what they're doing that's what i'm gonna do so we're you know we're trying to break that chain but it's just sometimes so ridiculous. When and, you guys yeah. are doing.
0: and it's so hard to break that mentality, you know? Um, and we see that a lot with at least on the baseball side, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, so there's a story that we've talked about, you know, we talked about this when we were together in spring training and for the winter meetings yeah. and it's always, it's stuck out. And it, you know, I know, uh, as part of financial planning, You'll often recommend uh, insurance uh, for your clients. And especially in the athlete side, you know, God forbid something should happen. And I don't know if you remember, but the story that we all were sitting around over dinner talking about was how you had, you had, um, you were meeting with a potential athlete client and he was represented by an agent. And you kept recommending an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So can you just share with the audience? Because to me, this is, and it's not just baseball or sports. This rings true in every industry, but it's really, um, it's powerful just because aside from sports for these athletes, they don't have another income, you know, stream. Yep. So if you, if you don't mind retelling that story.
1: No, no, not, not at all. No. This is like it happened yesterday. So this was a pitcher. I won't say the team again. Um, so this was a pitcher. You know, he, was, he just got called up to the big league. So he's making, in baseball, the league minimum is like $600,000, right? Baseball players, baseball players think they're broke if they're making six hundred grand a year. Yeah, sure. Guys like us were like, making six hundred. You you are doing it right. Let's just, you know, maintain a, a normal lifestyle. So this guy was a pitcher. So if you're a pitcher, you are do anything with your arm, we're always like, you better get disability insurance. Because if your finger breaks, you cannot play your position. I was like, listen, if you're like a a hitter, you're something on the in the outfield and something happens, you can still play and catch the ball and throw it. You're OK. But pitchers, you're more delicate. So I was like, get disability, get disability, get it, get it, get it. Finally listened. He actually listens. Signed the papers. He got the disability, you know, went through the whole process and got approved. Policy in his hand. I was like, fantastic. I was like, listen, if you get hurt, you know that you at least have a little backup because baseball is all you know. His agent came in and his agent's like, oh, you're trying to steal him from me. And I'm like, dude, I'm not an agent. Like, I don't want your play. I want you to continue doing what you do. Negotiate his contracts. I was like, we're here just doing his financial planning. I was like, he's making decent money. So we're coming up with a plan. And he wanted to get married and all that. The very next day, I get a call from the insurance company. Yo, this guy canceled the policy. What happens? We have to send them his money back. We just got an email from him. And we're like, you know, they couldn't share the email, but they were like, we just got an email from him and he canceled it. So I called the player up, not answering my phone, not answering, not answering, not answering, something, something's wrong. And the agent basically told him, he, I called him, he picked up the phone eventually, and he said his agent convinced him that it was a bad idea and that his agent was going to get him something better. He was like, listen, my agent's been with me for years. I can't, you know, I don't want to go against him. I was it's like, terrible, I was like, terrible, like, please do it. I don't care who you do it with, just do it because this is good for you. Long story short, a couple months later, he gets hurt and gets brought down from the big leagues into the minors, and he was out for almost two years. And if he would have had this policy in place, he would have gotten at least a couple of bucks in his pockets to float him during that time. And if he had a career-ending disability, toast. he would be toast. You better find a way to you know become an announcer or something like that. But because of the fear that his agent put into his heart, made him cancel this policy because he thought I was like competing with him. You know, the guy was put in a bad position.
0: And you know, like that goes back to the point, like people say to me, Oh, you know, how do you do the sports and how, and also be, you know, a matrimonial litigator. And I always go back to the same thing. It's, there's no difference. There's, you know, um, the negotiation may be a little bit easier on the baseball side, you know. Um, <laughs> on a quiet. But, but, it's, um, but it's putting together a team of advisors, whether I'm representing somebody on, you know, uh, in a dissolution of the marriage or uh, a kid who can barely speak English but knows how to throw a baseball,
1: yeah.
0: you know, 98 miles an hour. It's still, I've got to put together my team my accountants, you know, my insurance people, my financial planners, uh, and that's you uh, and, and your guys. Um, and I, th- it's one in the same. It's you're building up a relationship with these uh, people.
1: Absolutely. I would say is this, there's no difference of a baseball player versus a grocery store owner. I'm like, you guys are the same. Like you guys got to feed your families. You got to earn your income. You got to make sure your health is okay. I was like, yes, one, make me. One may make more money and might have some fame on his back, but I was like, that doesn't make things easier for him. I was like, yeah, he may make more money, but his lifestyle is also greater. He's also sure. around people that are making a ton of money. And one of the biggest mistakes that anybody makes, I don't care if you own a grocery store, I don't care if you're playing baseball, is the fact that you try to keep up with the Joneses before it's your time. Sure. So like if you're making $600,000 and that's really good money, grocery store owners making 200000 that's you know, nothing to sneeze at. But if you're hanging out with guys that are making a million dollars and you're in the million dollar houses and the million dollar cars, you don't have to try to keep up with that. Because that's, right. that's a losing game. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a losing game. So you're like, Oh, I'm making 600, but I'm going to try to buy this house that this billionaire is getting. And I'll tell you another funny story. I actually experienced that one time. I was in a, I was um, out with a baseball player. It's his very first time in the big leagues, very first game in the big leagues He was playing against the Mets. They ended up winning that game. So his agent calls me, he's like, hey, listen, he's in New York. Yeah,
0: meaning not the Mets.
1: Not the Mets, no, correct. That's yeah. an easy prediction. Uh, <laughs> so um the, the team that was against the Mets, they ended up winning. So the agent calls me, he was like, Yo, this is his first time in New York. Take him out. He doesn't speak English. And we're like, no problem. I'm gonna I'll take him out. So we took him out to this lounge, you know, Washington Heights. These Dominicans love the Spanish sure. love the Spanish music. So again. First time in the first game in the big leagues, the very, very first game. And as we were in that lounge, another player walks in That's his teammate. But that player is making $30 million a year while this guy's making $600,000 for his very first game. But you could tell he was like already trying to keep Hasting up it. with that player that's making sure. the $30 million The guy had the chain on and obviously the entourage. And I was like, dude, it's not your time yet. I was like, focus on your game. And make sure your game is tight. If your game is tight, you get to that level. Just don't try to keep up now and be cool with him and try to learn from him if anything. But it's always a competition. So it's okay to have competition, but it's you just always want to better yourself. Stop, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Ugh.
0: You know, I, I know a very, very wealthy uh, guy who said something to me a long time ago, and it's really stuck. It's not how much you have, but how much you need. Yep. You know, and if you, you need that $50,000 necklace, and if you need the Lamborghini, then when you look up when you're not wearing the uniform anymore because, you know, you're 40 years old and, you know, it, it's a young person's game. It's a young boy's game. And so, um, and this holds true for no matter what profession. You know, you got to think of the rainy day. Yeah. And that's really where you come in. It's funny. We, you know, we've been talking about like
1: creating a book. Or athletes that have done it wrong and athletes that have done it right because if you get somebody that had 10 million dollars and they blow it i don't care if they won the lottery or if they were playing a sport if they blew 10 million dollars they're always like man if i had 20 i'd be all right and if you had the guy that had 20 and then he blows it he'd be like man if i had 40 i'd be all right but if you look there's so many levels of people that have gone bankrupt regardless of how much money they make yep. you got the guys that have made 20 million dollars i mean they They're Countless, just go to the NBA and the MLB and NFL. Countless guys that have made 10 million, 20 million, and they're broke. And then, like, oh, if I had 100, I would have been all right. Guess what? Miguel Tejada, baseball, he made 100 million. He went broke. If I had 200, I would have been fine. Well, Allen Iverson had 220 and went broke. If I had 400, I'd be fine. Guess you know who went broke with 400 million? Mike Tyson, right? Had 400 million. He went broke. So, it's that doesn't matter how much money you have. It's about the lifestyle. You got to just, you know, maintain some, some books and records. Totally.
0: Well, listen, I'm grateful to know you. I really appreciate you being a trusted advisor on, you know, my team when I introduce people. And uh, I thank you for coming on here today. No, it was a pleasure. We awesome. always talk stories.